So I think that if we're honest, a lot of us have spent just maybe more time than we can imagine watching maybe a little bit of live streaming over the last couple months. And Nancy and I found this TV show from Canada that we kind of liked. And so we watched it. And one of the things is you get to know the characters. You kind of feel like you're a part of the story. Have you ever felt that way when you've watched something? That's kind of how we feel when we're watching this show. And there's two um, young ladies that are really the main characters in this. And they have this interesting tendency. And their tendency, maybe you've never met anybody like this. But it doesn't matter what is going on, but somehow it personally affects them. And they're always upset because of how it affects them. You know, so somebody else will make a decision in the family and they will be like, how in the world could you do this without asking me? You know, you know, the one was the bridezilla. And so anything that went on while she was planning her wedding, it was like, don't you understand I'm getting married? And right now, that's the most important thing. You know, the other one loves animals and, and will make decisions about animals. And the rest of the family will be upset because somehow that person didn't personally think of the rest of them. We are like that, though, aren't we? These two characters in this TV show reflect what we're like. We tend to think of everything in terms of how it affects us. How, how does this touch my life? And even though we, we want to think that we can do a lot of things and they are just out there and they're not of affected to us, it's a lot of times that we think things incredibly personally, don't we? Except for God. Have you ever noticed that? That we take a lot of things really personally, but then when it comes to God, some of the things that we know about God, we don't take them personal at all. We would never disagree with the fact there are certain things that God is. We agree with all those ideas of who he is, but we do not take the time to personalize how those things affect us. Uh, When I studied theology, the beginning of the study of theology is the study of the character of God. And we learned all these big words that went along with the character of God and who he was. And academically, we thought about this idea that God is omniscient, okay? That he knows everything. And we went, yes, God does know everything. And then we talked about the fact that he was omnipresent and that God was everywhere. And and we scolded ourselves because sometimes every one of us prays the prayer, dear God, please be with me. And he's like, dude it's not possible for me not to be with you you know and we talk about the idea that he's omnipotent we go yeah i agree that he's omnipotent and we talk about the fact that he's creator and and on and on this list goes and yet we think about them academically and we think about them in third person but we don't take them personally and maybe we should When I was a young Christian and a student at Moody, I had the privilege of being discipled by the dean of students. The reason I had that privilege is because I got in trouble. But after being disciplined by him, he called me up one more time and he said, young man, has anybody ever discipled you and spent time with you? And I said, no. 
And he said, would you be willing to meet with me? And you've heard me tell this story before. I was the only one in the dean's office sitting waiting to see the dean that was ever not afraid, <laughs> you know. But he taught me some really simple things that have become lifelong things, a part of who I am. And the first thing that he did is he opened the Bible. And he says, we're going to study a psalm together for a couple weeks. And so as we think about the king's list, he opened the Bible. And he says, I want you to figure out what this chapter means to you. How it affects you. How you think about this. And he opened the Bible to Psalm 139. And he said, this is something that you need to take personal. This is David, the great songwriter of the Old Testament. And he's taking these big ideas about God, his omniscience and his omnipresence and the ideas creator and all that. And he's taking those ideas and he's personalizing them to his life. And I think that this is very important. I think that sometimes we miss out because as we read God's Word, we aren't asking the first important question, which is the Word of God is the revelation of God to us. And so we need to be asking the question, God, what are you teaching me about yourself? Who are you as I read God's Word? But we need to ask the so what question too. The so what question isn't, what do you want me to do? Although that is an important question, and that's a part of applying God's word. The so what question is, is if this is who you are, God, how does that relate to me? Why do I need to know this reality of who you are? What does this tell me about you that I need to know in my own personal life? I will go so far as to say this, that our disconnect that allows us to rebel against God, to sin, comes out of our unwillingness to personalize God and let him be who he's supposed to be in our lives. In other words, we are seeking something other than him. We're making a substitute for him. We're saying at this moment, God, you are not enough. God, I need something more, or I need something tangible, or more importantly, I need something now. And I have found a substitute. That's why in the Old Testament, over and over again, it's spoken of this idea that the people of Israel struggled with idolatry, right? That they would put something else before God. And then it's even more interesting because it becomes more intimate and more pointed because in the Old Testament it will interchange the word idolatry with adultery. Have you ever thought of that? Sometimes he will speak of the idolatry of Israel, but other times he will speak of the adultery of Israel. In other words, they are substituting another love Something else, a different husband, a different wife, a different partner than God. That, that's kind of amazing to think about. In fact, that's an interesting way to draw out our sin in our lives, isn't it? To say, okay, when I struggle with this sin, what about God am I forgetting? How am I not taking God personally enough? 
And so as we unlook at this psalm, as we look at this psalm together, we're going to be seeing this idea of how David took things personally and then how he reacted or responded in light of what he saw personally. So we'll start right away in verse 1. He saw that God was personally all-knowing. So it wasn't just this idea that God was omniscient at this big scale level. It was a personal thing for him. He says, oh God, you have searched me and you know me. Okay? Think about this. The word knowing in the, in the Bible is a word that speaks of intimacy, right? When it talks about the male and female relationship, it doesn't explain the plumbing or go into biology, does it? It often just says they got married and they knew each other, right? There was a knowing that was there. Think about the the center of the Christian life. Jesus Christ in John 17 verse 3 said this, And this is my prayer for you, that you will know God. But he's taking a look at the other way, and he says, Oh God, you have searched me and you know me. And then he starts listing some of the ways that God knows him. He says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You, you, you know, you discern my thoughts from afar. And so there was this sense that God knew about the mundane of getting up and getting down and going through the, the routine of the day, but he also knew that God knew his, his thoughts. There's something about an intimate relationship with somebody and something happens and you look at each other and you both know what you're thinking. You know what I'm talking about. Some of those of you who are married, you know, you're, you're put in a situation and immediately, and then later on you're like, you know when that thing happened? Were you thinking this? Yes, I was. That's why I looked at you and I, you know, you know and all of that. But he's saying that God discerns his thoughts from afar He goes on and says, you search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all of my ways. There was this sense that that he knew him well. When I was in college, my roommate walked like a duck. His name was Alan. And I could look out my window, and I could see him coming across. You know, I always knew it was Alan. Because there's a certain way that he walked. We were great friends, but you begin to know the idiosyncrasies. He's saying, God knows all of those things about me. In fact, in, in the book of Matthew, what did we learn? That God actually knows the number of hairs that are on our head. For some of us, it's a big number. For others, it's a smaller number. But something so insignificant that is so important to God Verse 4 says this, Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Another way to put this is, God, you know me so well, you can finish my sentences. You like that? This was his response to this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, it cannot attain it. In a world where rejection is normal and superficial relationships are all too often true, aren't you glad that your God wants to know you well? Isn't that a wonder to you? You see, the idea of God's omniscience 
isn't just a big idea out here. It's supposed to be personal. That God knows us and loves us. There's nothing we do that surprises him. There are times that he watches us live out our lives and the details of our life. And I think he chuckles. Yeah, I knew they were going to do that. Or you can see into the future of our life and he can go, they're going to love that. So that's the first thing that God, we need to make God personal in that way. But God is everywhere present. And this is how David describes it. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. We live inside a God container. Isn't that cool? He's in front of us. He's behind us. He's got the lid over us. And yet, if you take a look at the Psalms of Lament, it's often saying, God, where were you? And he's saying, oh, you're always inside the container. He goes on and says in verses 11 and 12, he goes, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Shoal, you are there. He goes on in verse 9 and he says, if I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the seas, even there... If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. He describes all these different ways to look at being in the presence of God. And he says, there is no place that I can be that you're not. You see, God's omnipresence wasn't just an idea. He's saying, I am always with you. You are always there. You know, it's interesting that in our society today, with all of the technology and everything we're going on, there is a greater loneliness today. That's one of the greatest concerns they have about COVID. Did you know that? is the mental issues that go along with COVID and the disconnect. I've noticed that we set up just as the pattern that you should come a little early to get your spot. But I think the majority of you come a little bit early to see each other. To be in relationship with each other. To have the joy of having a place. You know? They say the health of a church is if they're willing to come early and if they're willing to stay late. We are really healthy people. But there is this sense that we need to realize that God is present there for us. The way he described that is his response was, even your hand, and even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. There is a comfort that comes to know that we are never out of God's presence. That He is always there. You know, we've, we've heard the classic foot, footprints kind of little poem that says, you know, the times that you didn't think I was there because there's only one set of footprints, it's because I'm carrying you, and you know, and, and all that. Yeah, you know, all that. But this is a reality, people. A reality that we need to remember is that because God is present, we can find great comfort 
in that. When I was, uh, I received a notice this morning that five years ago, on this date, I finished my master's degree. But I can tell you that the last project I did was emotionally very hard for me. And I was really struggling with it. And one day Nancy says, you need to get this done. And I said, I'm just struggling. And she says, I'm going to come and sit in your office while you work. I won't bother you. I won't say anything. I just think you need me to be there. And all of a sudden, the paper was finished. The project was done. And I was finished with my master's degree. But it took the presence of someone to help me. I think that there are times that God peeks through our lives and he shows us that he is very present. It happened to me yesterday. I was looking out and all of a sudden the sun broke through the clouds and it was like God was giving me a big hug and just saying, hey, I'm here. You see, the presence of God should be a comfort to us. That's what it was to David. It was a comfort to him. He goes on and says this, In verses 13 and 15 and 16, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You see, the idea of God being creator isn't just about seven days at the beginning of of time. We've got to understand that God is our personal creator. That he formed us together. That he knitted me together in my mother's womb. You know, this is part of the reason why we fight against abortion so much is because they call it a fetus. We call it a unique creation of God. David has a whole bunch of Legos up in his room. And years ago, there was these three little girls that their parents had come to the church, and and we wanted to get to know them, and so we invited them over. And they ended up in David's room, and they started taking the display Legos apart and playing with them. And then they made him play house. And after they left, David was like, okay, two things. What is house? You know, he's a boy, you know. And he said, please don't let people come into my room and mess with my Legos. God is screaming to us today. Please don't let people go in my wombs and mess with my creation. David understood that he was uniquely created by God. Creation wasn't just something that he did to make a tree. He was a creation of God. And I think there are a lot of people that don't understand their uniqueness in being created by God. And either they're frustrated because there's something... They're, they're not something so, that, and somebody else is it. Or they've bought into a lie because they've heard garbage their whole life and they, they think they're junk instead of uniquely created by God. He goes on in 15 and 16 and he says this, For my frame was not hidden to you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book was written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet they, there were none of them. 
God has a unique purpose for each one of our lives. That's why right after he speaks of saving us in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. There's, it's not of yourself, it is a gift of God, so that no one should boast. But verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which he created in advance for us to do. And so we are uniquely created by God to do unique things for God. This was his response. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. I think it's hard for us sometimes to see us as a custom creation of God. You know, it's one thing to go to Walmart and get the mass-produced items. It's a far different thing when somebody comes up to you and says, I personally created this for you. But we need to understand that God looks down at each one of us and says, I personally created you for me. I made you the way you are with your quirks and your challenges. I made you exactly that way. And I have unique things that only you can do that I want you to do. And our response to that should be worship. And you know what? I think it's harder as we get older. When babies are born, we go, oh, 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 you know, and, you know, and we go on and on. But it's hard to be 57 years old and fearfully and wonderfully made. It was, easier, it was easier at 40. You know what I'm saying? And yet we have to take whatever stage of life we're in and we have to have this view because God personally created us. We're not just biological accidents or mishaps. We are created by God. That picture of Him putting us together in our mother's womb. What a precious picture. And yet we live in a society that's arguing, well, it's not a baby yet. But if you deny that God is the knitter, it's easy to reject the knitting. That's why it's so important that we stand with life that we, we gather together with our brothers and sisters in the area and we stand up for what the Adirondack Pregnancy Center is doing. Because it's about doing this. We have to take creation personally. And I, I don't know where you're at. I, I don't know what experiences you've had in life. I, I don't know what garbage has been put into your head. But you have got to write somewhere in your life that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made at 40. I've been fearfully and wonderfully made at 25. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make junk. And I am a unique creation of him. I'm not a mishap or a mistake. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast are the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would be more than the sand. And I wake up, and you are still with me. 
he is not only blown away by creation and God's presence, but he's blown away by God's wisdom. And here's the interesting thing about God's wisdom. If you read in James chapter 1, it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, he will give generously to you. And so David was just blown away by the fact of how smart and wonderful God is. You know, there are a lot of people that are just struggling with God saying, you know, have you ever met them? Have you ever gone to church? Yeah, I used to go to church. Why don't you go to church anymore? Well, I'm having a problem with God. Well, what did you do wrong? Well, he didn't answer my prayer. Or someone I love got sick and didn't get better. Or You know, you know what the list is, right? Instead of this idea that we need to realize that we can find confidence in God's wisdom. In fact, he goes on and he responds two ways to God's wisdom. First, he says that he's going to be loyal. Listen to his loyalty. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O God, and do not I loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And so, because of how wise God is, when people speak poorly of him, it bothers him a lot. You, you've been in the situations before where somebody tries to speak poorly of someone you know and you feel the need to defend them. We should feel that way about God. No, you can't say that about God. God isn't like that. He is so struck by how wise and thoughtful God is that it bothers him that people don't understand how wise and thoughtful God is. And so he's loyal to him. And he says, it really bothers me how people treat you. It really bothers me what people say. I, I still remember the day I was, I was sitting at a gas station and this person came up to me and wanted to give me this publication called a watchtower. And I knew what it stood for. I knew it stood for making less of Jesus and saying wrong things about God. And, and I don't know what overcame me. You know me pretty well. I'm usually a pretty gentle spirit. And I said to this person, I said, I do not want that publication, and I'm so tired of the energy you guys are putting into speaking falsely of the God that I love so deeply. Well, can we have a discussion about it? No, we can't have a discussion about it. But at that moment, I think I was feeling what David was feeling here. Is that there are times that we should be just ticked off. That people would say those things about our God. In the same way that if somebody speaks poorly of Nancy, you better not do it around me. Because I love her. She's my wife. I am loyal to her. But not only... God's wisdom create loyalty, but it also 
created an opportunity for God to do something. If you truly believe that God knows everything and he knows you, you're going to want him to do something. You're going to want him to tell the truth about you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You see, if we truly believe these things about God, then we don't have a problem with God telling us the truth about us. Occasionally in life, when we move beyond denial and we have quiet moments, we really want somebody to tell us how we're doing. And God, out of his love for us, will tell us how we're doing and what we need to work on. James talks about the Word of God being a mirror that tells us the truth about ourselves. And so here's a summary of what we just talked about. Knowing that God is all-knowing brings wonder to us. Knowing that God is everywhere brings comfort to us. Knowing God is creator causes us to worship And knowing that God is wise causes us to be loyal and be willing for inspection. You know, there are certain times we don't like inspections. Like this month, we need to get our car inspected. It's a newer car. I'm not overly concerned, you know? But when the car gets a little older, like my older Subaru, inspection day is a little more nerve-wracking, right? Because you don't want the state of New York to tell you the truth about your car. Because it's working fine, right? There are certain times that we don't mind God looking at us and telling us the truth. We're ready to hear the truth. But there's other moments that we are working very hard to put the fig leaf on. You know what I'm talking about? Genesis 3. Don't have a problem hiding from God a little bit. Denying that there's a problem. You know, no different than you, inspections coming up, you're concerned about your car, it's making a weird noise, so what do you do? You turn up the radio, right? <laughs> and that's what we do in our lives. But here's my question for you as we consider this passage today. What about God do you need to take more personally? Hmm? What in your life, when you think about how you're doing and what's going on, what about God do you need to take more personally? <laughs> And how will this shift your responses to life's challenges? Years ago, there was a man in my church, and, and, and he went through the same crisis like three times. And he came to me the third time, and he says, why do you think this keeps happening? And I said, well, I think God loves you enough that he wants you to get it right at least once. And I think that we need to take a look at what's going on around us and going on in us. And we need to say, God, out of your love, what are you trying to show me? And what about you or who you are do do I need to take more personally? When I did the Blackaby course, there was one day we were supposed to go on a walk. And anybody who's ever done Experiencing God knows the walk day. And you're supposed to take your book with you. And there's a list of all the names of God in the back of the book. And you're supposed to ask two questions. Which one of these names of God have you personally experienced? And so you kind of go through the list and you ask them all. But the next question is the better question. 
What names of God do you need yet to experience? Because God wants you to fully know him. So as Jonathan comes up and we just take a minute to reflect at the end of service today, I want you to ask this question. What about God do you need to take more personally today? We've talked about four characteristics of God today, but there are many other characteristics of God. And out of love for you, because he is the great revealer, he will tell you which one maybe should be on your list today. And he will begin the process of transforming you. You're not figuring these things out because you're smart. You're figuring these things out because you are a child of an all-knowing God. So, as Jonathan plays, let's take a couple minutes and ask these questions and reflect on these ideas of making God more personal in our lives today. eight years ago you laid out three parts of your character to me and they were the promises that you made and you've been so faithful and I'm so thankful and God I, I don't know what the heart struggle or the challenges in each person's room but I know that you're enough for them I know that your word says that everything is under your son's foot, and so whatever the problem is, is under that foot. But I pray for whatever we need to understand better about you today. And what way we need to grow and be changed today. And I pray that we would be faithful. God, give us somebody that we can be honest with today and say, this is the thing about God that I need to work on. God, help us to be in the moment that we grow in greater intimacy with you so we can worship you more clearly, we can be comforted by you, we can have great confidence, and we can trust your inspection of our lives. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.